You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1022 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night, into Thursday morning. And today's podcast is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Only 95 calories, two six carbs, only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. Today's show will focus on game one and a masterful Trey Young performance as the Hawks go into Milwaukee and win 116-113 to 113 in game one. The Hawks now leave the series 1-0, and uh, you know clearly... Trey Young, 48 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds, just uh, you know a one-of-a-kind effort, his best of his career. I mean, this is the Trey Young game so far. I know he scored more than this at, um, at least one point in his record season tenure, but this is by far the Trey Young game to this point in his tenure. Brightest stage, biggest moment. He was fantastic, and uh, that is the headliner of this game. There's plenty more detail to get into, as we'll talk about always on the podcast. And by the way, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Uh, we will always be here, even when the season ends, but... Subscribe, rate, review, etc. But uh, you know, Trey's the headliner, number number one, number two, number three, all of that stuff. He was so so good in this game. This is the Trey Young game from now until he has a better one, I suppose. But uh, an awesome night for Atlanta. Their first win all time in a conference finals game because famously they went uh, 0-4 against the Cavs in 2015. So since they moved to Atlanta from St. Louis, they have not won a conference finals game until June 23rd, 2021. So plenty to get to here. They had one in Milwaukee. In the last seven outings, they had won in Milwaukee since 2016, which is a long time ago. And they're also the first team to win game one on the road in three different series in the same postseason since the 99 New York Knicks, who made a run to the finals, by the way. So, all that said, uh, a lot to get into, and we will sort of chop it up as always. If you're new, if new to the podcast, we'll go through sort of the uh, ins and outs of the game early on. Then we'll have some uh, more broad takeaways, some stats, etc. at the back end of the podcast. Okay, um, so pregame stuff, not a whole lot going on other than the updates for Bogdanovich and Cam Reddish. Bogey was questionable, then a game-time decision, and then ultimately available, wearing a brace on his knee. He clearly is not 100%. McMillan sort of acknowledged it after the game. Everyone knows that watching him play. He didn't play a ton in this game, but they're letting him go, you know, People always ask me, like, what's going on with the knee? How, can, it, can it improve? I, I don't know the answer to that, and the Hawks are not going to give us any information that they don't have to give us. So it's a mystery box right now. Um, hopefully it straightens out a little bit at some point in the series. He did seem to get a little bit looser in the second half at times, but he is very much limited, and the Hawks are still, you know, I, I, you have to trust that they're at least trying to play it safe to some degree here, but they need him for those spot minutes because they don't have a whole lot of depth on the wing as we've talked about a lot on the podcast. As for Reddish, um, he was actually active in this game, did not play. McMillan said pregame that he'd be available, but stress caution, and that they'd give Solomon Hill or Tony Snell the first opportunity off the bench, just the way that he put it. Basically, he referenced the fact that Cam's not played 5-on-5 yet. Um, He was ready to play the last series, Cam said, to McMillan. But at the same time, uh, McMillan was pretty clear and pretty uh, pretty steadfast in pregame. My read was that, I was not expecting to see Reddish in this game after after that conversation that McMillan had with the media, and uh, clearly they, they, you know they were able to win this one. Solomon Hill played a bunch, and I know Hawks fans don't always love Solomon Hill, but he gave them some pretty good minutes defensively at times in this game. So we'll see. You know Reddish's upside clearly higher, and we'll save that for later on. But for at least for game one, he was active and did not play in this game. The Hawks were seven and a half point underdogs coming into game one on Bet Online, our friends over there at BetOnline.ag, and uh, you know. 
obviously they covered and they won outright. But I always want to at least let people know what the perception was coming in. The Hawks were pretty big underdogs in the series and game one, and they were able to overcome that and win on the road. All right, we'll dive in now to the game itself. And early on, uh, it was Capella on Giannis, as I, I, I sort of expected that to happen. They had Herter on Middleton with Bogdanovich on Holiday at the outset with Trey Young on P.J. Tucker. There were some cross matches throughout the game. Uh, Middleton, uh, Middleton really struggled for Milwaukee. That was one of the things that went in Atlanta's favor in this game was that Chris Middleton was pretty ghastly, honestly. Uh, he's a really good player. He was not good in this game. Drew Holiday, though, was very comfortable, which we'll talk about later on. But kind of a sloppy start. Both teams did not shoot the ball well, especially early, but really the entire game. Milwaukee was 1 of 10 in the early going from 3, and the Hawks were 0 of 9 in that same stretch. So uh, some pretty good looks on both sides, just nobody making anything. Trey scored 10 of the first 14 for the Hawks, setting the tone for what became that massive night at the office for him. But, um, you know, elsewhere, he was kind of getting the floater range, whatever he wanted to. That was the emphasis early on. Milwaukee kind of famously plays this deep drop coverage, which, which we talked about with, with Tower Jones and Kay Pittman earlier on in, in the week on this podcast. But uh, it was definitely their normal coverages for most of the game. In the fourth quarter, they started switching a little bit more. But um, that drop coverage means floater range is going to be open, and the Hawks were taking advantage of that with Trey. They went to Gallinari and Hill as the first subs for Bogdanovich and Capella. They played Collins at the five a lot more in this game than they did in the last series. You know, Part of that's Embiid being in, involved um, with Philadelphia in the last series. But in this spot, Collins played one stint, and that was it. And they went to Collins at center quite a bit. Um, and in Collins, I thought, had a couple, a couple of nice under-control buckets attacking mismatches in the first half. That was good to see from him. Uh, he was very, very good after halftime as well. They brought in Lou a couple minutes later. Actually, kind of, I think at least twice in this game, they played a very strange lineup um, with Trey Young and Lou Williams playing together alongside basically three power forwards with Solomon Hill, Danilo Gallinari, and John Collins. So that's a lineup that has not seen the light of day a whole lot this, this year, if, if at all. And they played that at least tw- at least twice. They went to Okongwu um, for Collins late for a brief period of time against Bobby Portis. Um, that was kind of it for that. The Hawks trail was May sixth in the first in the first quarter. Then Lou hit a three at the final possession, uh, his only bucket of the game actually. Um, and then, but the Hawks kind of a weird start overall in that they were eleven of seventeen on twos, including Trey being pretty hot from floater range, but only, only one of ten on threes in the first quarter. And I thought the point of attack defense was the problem for Atlanta. Really the entire game, honestly, if there's one critique in this spot for the Hawks, um, overall, if you have to pick one thing that the Hawks need to clean up, it's almost certainly that. They were allowing penetration kind of at will in this game. Part of that's personnel. Part of that's that Milwaukee has some guys who can get in the lane. But uh, it was pretty brutal, especially early on. Um, the Bucks though, allowed Trey to score 12 points in the first quarter, and he got going in a big way. Um, also today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's all the worth it if you enjoy it. 95 Calorship with his car. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So, the second quarter, more of the same in some respects. You know, Trey played the entire first quarter. Um, not a surprise, but he came out to start the second. They, I didn't love this lineup because they went to Bogdanovich to sort of anchor that group, and he does not have the same juice. That was their plan earlier on in the playoffs when he was healthy to kind of use Bogey as the stagger to get Trey off the court, have him, some, have him rest a little bit. That isn't going to work in this series. They kind of went from, way, away from that later on in the game, but um, that first stint was not great. The Hawks uh, allowed four points in a row to Milwaukee, and they called timeout down seven. They played um, actually the same lineup after that, even after the timeout. Gallinari shot pretty, a pretty ugly air ball. He was pretty shaky at times in this game. Um, Okongwu actually had a nice block, his, mo- his best moment of the game, on Giannis when he sort of walled up. But they brought Herder and Capella in on the next possession. That was kind of the end of that bench lineup. Um, 34 of the first 38 points in this game for the Bucks came in the paint. 
um, that's a pretty incredible ratio. And again, it goes back to the point of, attack, point of attack defense and how bad it was at times for Atlanta. But the Bucks did a pretty big favor to the Hawks, in my view. Um, Mike Budenholzer, you know, old friend as he is, brought in Jeff T. Now, you could, I would say charitably, you could say that Teague, when Trey is off the court, you could probably steal a couple minutes with Jeff Teague on the floor. And they did. In fact, they were plus four or five when Teague was on and Trey was off in about two minutes at the outset of the second quarter. But the problem for Milwaukee and the great thing for the Hawks on the more positive side is that Teague stayed in the game when Trey came back in and was guarding Trey. And I couldn't believe that. I'd said as much. Uh, and pretty much immediately, Trey hit a floater and then two threes in a row to cut the margin back to three. A 15-5 to overall run by the Hawks at that point in time to go from down nine to up one. And from there, they never really fell behind by a large margin. And honestly, if that had not gone well, it was kind of teetering a little bit. You know, not not a ton, but they were down seven, down down nine, all that in that in that little stretch. And Trey goes for 13 of the 15 points in terms of scoring or assisting. And he had 20 points, four assists, and four rebounds in the first 60 minutes of, the, 60 minutes of this game. He was just ridiculous. And um, that was a huge thing. It's sort of a gift basket from Milwaukee to have Trey Young guarded by Jeff Teague for any period of time in this series. Um, Trey actually went down pretty hard after colliding with Bobby Portis on a floater. And Portis kind of landed on him um, pretty pretty. I would say forcefully, and that, I actually got up and missed the first free throw, so I thought he might be a little bit woozy in that in that moment. He settled in, though, from there, made a couple jump shots. Um, Holiday made a couple threes late for Milwaukee in the first half, um, but there was a missed layup by P.J. Tucker, which was very helpful for Atlanta. They got it to one. I actually circled this because the Hawks trailed by one in the final minute after Gallinari hit a three, and they actually allowed the last four points, including an easy one after Trey turned it over, to go down, down by five at the half. So not a disaster, but not a great end to what was a pretty decent half overall for all things considered. The, the pace, though, was pretty fast, at least when, when, when compared to previous Hawks playoff games, and they've been playing pretty slow to McMillan for a long time. But offensively, it was not great as a team, despite the 54 points, because Trey was really good, 25 points in the first half. Um, but everybody else was not fantastic, other than Kevin Herter had a good half. This, that was kind of it offensively. They did shoot 66% on twos, in the first half, but only 5 of 18 on threes, and um, this is one of the things that I want to flag for the full game, especially in the first half. They were 13 of 21 on two-point attempts that were outside of the rim area. So the Hawks were just very, very good. Part of that's Trey's floater, and he's very good at that. But floater range and mid-range, the Hawks did an excellent job in this game, kind of unsustainably so, but still, they kind of needed it, and it worked out very well. Um, eight turnovers, though, that was a problem in the first half. The benefit from the Bucks going pretty cold as a shooting team, but they had no answers from Holiday at all. Holiday got wherever he wanted to, whenever Herter wasn't guarding him, basically. And the Hawks allowed the Bucks to take 20 shots to the rim, and they actually made 17 of the 20. Um, they were pretty cold on those non-rim two, six of 15, but a pretty lower volume there. And I think generally the Hawks probably were pretty favorable to be down by only five at the half with how things went, even with that collapse in the final minutes. All right, before we get to the rest of the podcast, a segment from our friends at Michelob Ultra, and it's the Michelob Ultra moment of the week. Now, I don't want to spoil too much from the rest of this game, but there were a lot of options for Michelob Ultra's moments of the week this week, uh, and they all came from game one. Honestly, they all involved Trey Young as well, because Trey was the biggest story of this game by a lot. He was the biggest story of the NBA today because of the way that he played, uh, a monumental effort in a lot of ways. Um, there was a pretty obvious moment that I was going to choose, um, when Trey connected on an off-the-backboard lob dunk to John Collins, you don't often see a backboard lob in a conference finals game, and that happened. Uh, they connect on it. Those guys have great chemistry on the floor. But then moments later, Trey Young 
gets lost on uh on you know the buck's just kind of lost her young basically and he has all the time in the world to shoot a standstill three which just kind of never happens for trey unless he's 30 feet away from the basket but it was a breakdown by milwaukee and trey um took a deep breath and shimmied before before shooting the three that was a huge topic of conversation after the game uh, people were asking about that and he kind of just laughed it off in a lot of ways but uh Definitely shows his swagger and also just that's a memorable moment, especially if the Hawks win this series. That 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 move will never die. That will be out there for a long time, I'd imagine. And it pretty much stuck out to me immediately as the ultra moment of the week. Go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with the hashtag ultra moment. 95 calories, 2.6 carbs, only worth it if you enjoy it. Joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. The Nickelode ultra moment this week goes to Trey Young and the Shimmy. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game, and clearly uh, things went in Atlanta's favor. They won the second half by eight points, being down five, winning this game by three. Um, early, I thought I actually liked this decision by McMillan to run a play for Bogdanovich out of the gate, get him going a little bit, had a nice floater that got them on the board to start the third quarter. Trey got his third foul within the first minute, which might have been a little bit worrisome, but he actually ended the game with three fouls. Um, I actually tweeted at the time, like, three isn't a problem. Four might be because they might have taken him out of the game, but it didn't end up biting them at that point in time. Capella had a kind of a rough stretch when he actually got blocked by Giannis and Lopez twice in a row. But in general, the Hawks had a nice little push in the third quarter. A 7-0 run to tie it immediately with Trey hitting a pretty, pretty deep pull-up three and then a beautiful lob to John Collins in transition. It was tied at the midcourt timeout when Trey had 30 um, halfway through the third quarter, which is, again, pretty just ridiculous overall. And then later on, it was a 14-4 run by Atlanta to go up by 8 at 83-75. That was by far Atlanta's biggest single push of the game. And it was right after Trey actually got Giannis to settle for a fadeaway jump shot in isolation. I'm not really sure what Trey was doing. Uh, I mean, sorry, what Giannis was doing, not going at Trey, but it worked out very well defensively for Trey. This is the stretch in which... The off-backward pass by Young to Collins happened for the huge dunk, and then the shimmy happened after that before the three. It was not just Young either. He was definitely the story, don't get me wrong, but John Collins was awesome in the third quarter. He had 10 points and 7 rebounds in the first 10 minutes of the, of the second half, just flying around, making play after play, finishing lobs, playing good defense, and making a huge impact. Out of a timeout, they actually went to um, the bench lineup with Trey and Lou together, plus uh, Hill, Gallinari, and Collins again. They didn't close very well. They led by as many as eight and actually went only up three at the end of the third quarter. But they still shot very well in the third quarter. 56% from the floor in the third, while Milwaukee was only 9 of 26. And Trey had 37 at the end of the third quarter. Now, to open the fourth quarter, the problem was Trey had to sit at some point. I know people wanted Trey to play the entire game. McMillan does not seem to want to play him even for a whole half. That has not happened this year. So he got the, he got the break. Um, there was actually a pretty crazy fake DHO dunk by Solomon Hill, which uh, that was out of nowhere. Put, the, put, the, put them up by five. Uh, nice play by Solo. And then Gallinari hit a pretty, super, uh, I would say, a pretty super difficult jump shot that he's capable of making, but a tough look. So they managed to survive the non-trade minutes. They were minus one in about three and a half minutes. And given the stakes and given where they were, that was actually a pretty big success in my view. He comes back after that. Uh, they didn't bring Herter back in and Collins right, right away, but those guys were coming shortly thereafter. Um, Young had another another crazy pass to Capella for the lead. And the Capella had an awesome sequence where he got a steal on an entry pass, and then he dunked the other end of the floor after sprinting down. That was good to see Clint, who I thought played well, particularly after halftime. Um, so from there, we'll sort of pick up the play-by-play on some level. Um, Chris Middleton, who was very bad, had his best stretch with back-to-back jumpers to tie the game. And there was kind of a weird foul by Giannis on Trey. It was a three-shot foul. 
Trey had already shot the ball and landed, so there was a controversy. I think it might have probably been a non-shooting foul, but it worked out for the Hawks pretty well. He got three free throws, actually missed the first one, made the next two, and that led to another timeout with 5.33 left, and the Hawks leading by two points. Um, Milwaukee found something with this ATO play in which they got Drew going downhill to lob for Giannis, which they worked on and used a few times to success in crunch time. Trey turns it over, the Bucs get some offensive rebounds, and, you know, long story short, it's a 9-0 run by Milwaukee in 67 seconds to go from Hawks up 2 to Hawks down 7. And if you're going to script it out, Milwaukee, that's their big run of the game. You know, that's they're suddenly now in control up 7 with, like, you know, under 5 to go. That was a huge stretch for the Bucs. But to the Hawks' credit, and this has been a story of their entire playoff run, they were not deterred by that at all. They call timeout. Collins gets a offensive rebound and a nice dunk to stop the bleeding. Middleton then misses. Trey draws contact on Drew Holiday and makes a shot plus the foul. And they go from down seven to down two in about a minute. And that was a big, big stretch. Um, I'm not sure why Bud didn't challenge that because he was going to take a timeout anyway, which he just did. So that was kind of a silly decision. I'm not sure he would have won it. I don't think he would have, honestly. Just a curious decision from Moodnozer. They went to Solomon Hill, though. Down the stretch for Gallinari for defense, which I think was an interesting decision. I'm not going to tell you it was great or bad. It's just a defense-first decision in that spot, and uh, I thought Solo actually played pretty well at times. Um, regardless, though, in fact, the next possession when he came in, he played very very well against Giannis, who dumped it off to Conson. But still, the Hawks are down by four after he make some free throws. That trade then drew, drew a foul, and they traded again with an easy dunk by Milwaukee. But I will circle the next possession as, in my mind, the biggest single possession of the entire game was that was this one. The Hawks down four with about two minutes to go, and they miss two straight shots, but they get two offensive rebounds in a row, flying around, and the possession ends with John Collins hitting a corner three to go from down four to down one. That was enormous, both because of how much time it took, but also because... You know, if you miss that possession and the Bucs come down and score, they are in complete control. And with two offensive rebounds, all just effort plays, Collins also has to convert the shot as well when he's finally open there. But that was huge. I mean, you go from down four to down one, and that was a massive momentum play. I want to at least make sure, make sure that I highlight it because, you know, this is this is definitely the Trey Young game, but that possession was, uh, you know, was John and, um, you know, really kind of creating with some effort plays. They get a stop there, gave it back on a shot clock violation, but then Middleton misses once again. And then Trey misses, but Capella gets the offensive rebound. That was a big shot as well by Capella to grab that, finish it. And the Hawks got the two for one in that spot. So now they're winning and they have the advantage on the scoreboard with regard to possession. So the Bucks are down one with the ball, 30 seconds to go. They got a good look for Pat Connaughton. Uh, Pat Connaughton airballed it. And that is, uh, you know, that's obviously fortunate for the Hawks. They didn't do anything to really stop that. It was a pretty open shot. At the same time, Connaughton is not the guy that they probably want shooting it, but he's a decent shooter. He's not a great shooter, but still, that's an open look that was not even close, which is helpful for Atlanta. It gets tapped around, tapped out to Trey, who gets fouled, makes both. And then the Hawks up three, the Bucks play right into their hands. They kind of inexplicably pass the ball to Giannis under the rim, down three. The Hawks very smartly wrap him up and foul him. And I guess to Giannis' credit, he actually made both. But they get Lou back in the game. They get they get the ball to Trey, which is very helpful. You know, Trey sort of beat Holiday off the uh, off the line to get the ball. He makes both as he is prone to do. And then Milwaukee's final possession down three, 
Middleton misses a decent look. Not, not a great one, but that was kind of fitting in my mind because Middleton's offensive woes were one of the biggest stories of the game for me. So having him miss at the end was uh, oddly on brand for this contest. And the Hawks escape. So, you know, lots of back and forth. Obviously, there's a lot to get into there. I sort of flew through. But, you know, the Hawks basically only won the third quarter of this game. They were minus three in the first, minus two in the second, and dead even in the fourth. But the third quarter was big, and they managed to hold on in the fourth and kind of come back, punch above their weight at times. That massive possession that they got with two offensive rebounds and then Trey um, sort of ice cold at the free throw line at the end of the game. All right, before we get to some takeaways and some uh, other analysis and some individual breakdowns from this game or from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of, it's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code LOCKEDON. The promo code, one more time, is LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so we'll go into some takeaways from this game now, offensively, defensively, in the numbers, and all of that. In general, it was a good offensive game for the Hawks. You know, that goes without saying with the way that Trey was playing that he was the biggest reason for that. But the Hawks had about a 115 offensive rating. That's not off the charts, but it's pretty good in a playoff setting. It's a good defense. And, um, you know, again, credit to Trey. But Atlanta shot over 60% on twos in this game. They were 12 of 18 on long twos. That is, uh, you know, hotter than you would expect. Normally, you're making sub 50% of those, and they shot almost 70%. So that's an obvious, you know, it's an obvious pivot point. Part of that's Trey being on fire, but even Kevin Herter made a couple mid-rangers, John Collins made a couple mid-rangers, Gallinari, etc. So they shot well from there. Trey did cool off on floaters after halftime. He's actually one of seven on floaters after the break, but he was being guarded differently by that point in time. That was sort of made enough, and uh, he's putting pressure on the rim. They didn't shoot it great from three either. They were eight of 32, but they were better than Milwaukee, which is definitely crucial, but not like a hot shooting night from the Hawks other than Trey and, uh, and, and a group that he was in at times. But the ball security was better. 
after halftime. They still ended up with more turnovers than the Bucks did by a pretty decent margin with 13, but only five after halftime. And five and a half is totally fine. Um, and offensive rebounds were huge. I mentioned a couple of them earlier individually, but they, got, they actually got uh, 12 in the game, which was dead even with Milwaukee, but um, they got a higher percentage of them because they actually shot better than Milwaukee did, and 17 points and second chance points. That's a not, not a huge number, but that's more than enough to be uh, pretty excited about your offensive rebounding and that couple of you know just massive plays that are sort of anecdotal, but they still tell the story of what transpired there. Um, defensively, it was not great, honestly, in this game. Uh, I think the Hawks, they allowed about a 113 defensive rating which isn't like terrible by any means, but when you factor in Milwaukee's poor perimeter shooting and how good the looks were, I think you have to say the Hawks need to be better defensively. And McMillan said that on the record, so that's not like me breaking down, breaking any news here. But if you look at the numbers that they were able to produce, Milwaukee was factor in that they probably need they, they probably should have made more shots than they did. The Hawks were not great defensively in this game. Now they were better in the second half. That's worth noting. I thought, even as Milwaukee probably made a few more shots, I think the Hawks' uh, attention to detail was better. Their point of attack, though, was a problem in this game. Uh, just because they won does not mean there was th- th- there were no issues whatsoever. There definitely were some, and defensively, it was not great. The Bucks had 70 points in the paint. That is a sky-high number. Now, Milwaukee does get in the paint a lot, Giannis in particular, but that's a number that you just cannot live by. I know the Hawks won this game, but if you told me that they give up 70, per- 70 points in the, in the paint per game in the series they might be in some trouble. So they have to fix that on some level. You know, 50, 55 even, uh, maybe you can live with that against Milwaukee. 70 is a number that is uh, kind of scary. They got 39 shots at the rim as well, and that's a pretty high number. Um, transition defense actually was a positive, at least relatively so. It wasn't great, but against Philly, that was really a problem in transition. Milwaukee got some runouts, I think 15, 15 fast break points. That's not like great, but it's better than you might have asked for. They benefited from Chris Middleton's bad game. Middleton, by the way, was 0 of 9 on threes as a great shooter, like at least a, at least a very good shooter, and 6 of 14 on twos, which isn't like terrible. But Middleton for the season shot 41% from three, and he was 0 of 9 in this game. Um, you could say that Drew Holiday was better than his normal but because he, he was 5 of 12 from three. But as a team, Milwaukee was 8 of 36, and that's going to come up, you would imagine, at some point. The Hawks didn't force turnovers. Uh, but they did a, they did do a good job of not, of not fouling. So, 14 free throw attempts from the Bucks, eight for Giannis, six for everybody else. You'll live with that all day long. That's good. That's that's a good number. You know, coming in, one of the points of emphasis in this game and the entire series is that Milwaukee was number one in the NBA this season in preventing free throw attempts, and the Hawks have sort of lived at the line. They've been top five in the league in creating free throws this season. Um, Atlanta didn't get a ton; only 16 free throw attempts including none for Collins or Capella. But they still took more than Milwaukee did, and uh, they sort of, I would say, uh, crossed that off by keeping Milwaukee off the line in their own right. Um, so, yeah, overall, you know, I think it was definitely an, an offensive first win for the Hawks. I think defensively they're going to have to be better in this series, but they, they did just enough to get the victory. Um, individually, we'll go through this now. We'll save Trey for the end. Uh, we'll start on the bench. Okongwu didn't play much. Three minutes, three minutes, he was sort of the ninth guy that they never went back to. In the second half, it was an eight-man rotation. That was the same as it was in Game 7, by the way. It was starterish plus Gallinari, Hill, and Lou Williams. Uh, we'll go to Lou Williams first. Lou was minus 12 and, three, and uh, had three points. Uh, so basically, the Hawks were plus 10 with Trey, minus 12 without Trey in this game. That's kind of uh, a normal thing that happens. But at the same time, you know, they're going to have to fix that. Lou's going to have to have a game or two in this series. He didn't have it in this game. Um, in general. 
Uh, Gallinari had moments offensively, a couple nice jump shots that they had to have, had nine points. I thought he was pretty bad. I think defensively he was one of the bigger culprits in this game, just some real breakdowns. It's tough to have him exposed at times and what he can and cannot do. I think he can be better than he was in this game defensively, but that's a question mark moving forward, particularly if, if Adonimich is not able to play and play a little bit more slash better than he was in this game. Solomon Hill, though, ends up playing crunch time for defense. I thought, I thought he was okay. You know, Offensively, the big problem with Solo is they, they're not going to guard him. He, he did take two threes. He missed them both, but at least he took two. He was two of two on twos, including a dunk. Uh, he was active, at least there, attacking the rim when he, whenever it was uh, available to him. Had two assists, three rebounds, no turnovers, uh, played good defense in general. You know, a couple of breakdowns for sure. It wasn't like he was like, electric defensively, but you know, basically just chose his experience. And McMillan seems to trust him, so I thought he was okay in this game. Uh, so that, that's the bench for you. In general, not, not a whole lot going on there. The Hawks were uh, plus eight or better for every starter, and they were in the swift negative off the bench. So that's a uh, question slash concern the rest of the series. Uh, Bogdanovich, 27 minutes. That's more than he played in game seven, but he was not very good again in this spot. He's definitely limited. That is very, very clear. He only took six shots. Um, one of four on twos, oh of two on threes. Four points, two assists, three steals, which is kind of interesting. Uh, three rebounds, but... Uh, you know, his status is definitely a question mark. The Hawks winning this game with him doing that is uh, certainly, you know, some found money on some level for Atlanta. But you're going to have to need something more from Bogdanovich, you would imagine, because of what's behind him. But they were all very complimentary of him for getting it out. It's very clear that he's not 100%. Everyone sort of agrees on that. But um, I'm not going to even try to guess. If he's just, I kind of have to assume that this is, this is what you're going to get from Bogdanovich. Maybe, maybe it improves. But if he could just play this many minutes be guarded. He didn't kill them. I thought defensively in the first half, he was actually hurting them pretty badly without his, with his inability to move, but it was a little bit better after halftime, so fingers crossed that he is uh, at least going to be in this shape or better the rest of the series. Uh, elsewhere, the other four guys in the starting lineup were all quite good in different ways. So Kevin Herter, um, better in the first half for sure, but was actually a game-best plus 15. 13 points, Two rebounds, an assist, and a block shot for Herter. 5-12 from the floor, 1-6 from three. So it wasn't like he was great as a shooter. He was actually 4-6 uh, of six on twos, but only 1-6 uh, only on threes. So he was, due some, he was due for some regression. I actually would have played him more than he ended up playing. That's something to keep an eye on this series because he's by far their best wing right now. So playing him as much as possible would be a good idea, I think. But I thought he was fine, especially in the first half. He was the only guy other than Trey that really had it going before halftime. He cooled off, but I think he was uh, very solid overall. Clint Capella, 12 points, 19 rebounds, game high by a lot there. On uh, He was just fantastic defensively. Um, was he good offensively? Like, he was okay. 6-9 from the floor. It's totally fine for him. Uh, only had one instance where he just should have passed the ball. Capella's not a big passer, um, and he got blocked. He got, a shot. he got a shot blocked twice in a row. But other than that, he was just finishing around the rim, grabbing rebounds. Defensively, he wasn't great in the first half. I thought he was better after halftime. But most of the issues defensively for the Hawks were outside of his control. He was forced to clean up a lot in this game. He wasn't dominant, I would say, like across the board defensively. But I thought rebounding was important in this game. And I thought he gave him a positive lift, particularly in the second half. Uh, John Collins uh, was awesome in this game, honestly. 23 points, 15 rebounds for Collins. And honestly, he was very clearly the second-best player in this game. Um... After halftime, he had 17 and 9 in 18 minutes. So that kind of tells you where he was after the break. But the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, only had two turnovers, had 15 rebounds, one of five on threes, but actually was 10 of 11 
from two. So finishing very effectively. Not even not even always the easiest shots in the world either. A couple dunks, obviously, but mid-rangers and uh, floater range shots. And Collins was so good defensively, flying around the second half. So, yeah, I mean, what are you going to say? He was a spectacular part of this game. And if, if Trey hadn't gone super nuts, Collins would have gotten a lot more attention for the way he played after halftime. But I thought it's worth pointing out how good he was in the second half. And then Trey Young. Um, you know, there's like a list of things that Trey Young did that no one has basically ever done in NBA history. He is the first player in the history of the NBA playoffs to have 45 points or more and 10 points or more, sorry, 10 assists or more in a conference finals game. So that speaks for itself. Obviously, the numbers are what they are. 48 points, 11 assists, 7 turnovers. Did have six, sorry, did have 6 turnovers. He had 7 rebounds, I should say. But, uh, you know... He had 20 points or more in a half for the seventh time in the playoffs. And did it in both. He did, actually did it in both halves. <laughs> he had 25 points in the first half. That was the third time in, in the playoffs that he's actually had 25 points or more in a half. You know, 17 to 34 from the floor. That's a lot of shots, but he had to take them, and he was the only guy that really had it going the entire way. But you know, sort of wire to wire. 13 of 21 on twos. You will definitely live with that because of his floater range attempts are not like the easiest. I think people confuse like what's efficient from floater range because Trey is a very, very good floater shooter, but even the best floater guys shoot like somewhere around 50%. It's not an automatic shot. You're going to miss a lot of those, but I thought he did a good job from there. You, you will take that all day long. From three, he actually wasn't like incredibly good. He was four of 13. Uh, he'll be better than that at times. Uh, got to the line for 12 attempts. He was the only guy on the Hawks that took more than two free throws. He took 12 of their 16 attempts from the line in 41 minutes. But, man, he was so good in this game. Uh, I tweeted this, but I found myself just kind of hysterically laughing at times in the second half of this game. And I don't really do that necessarily. I don't really get overcome like that. But, man, he was so dynamic and so impressive. And I think I think Hawks fans know this and have known it for a long time, and I've been saying it for a long time. But Trey Young uh, is a superstar, and that is uh, not up for debate. He was fantastic. In this game, I could talk about him for another hour. I won't do that because I'll repeat myself and all that stuff. But this is the single best game that he's ever played, in my view, at least in the NBA. And at least when you throw in the stakes, it's not even close. And uh, he won them this game. And he wasn't alone. John Collins was great, etc. But without Trey being superhuman, they don't win this game. But just flat out, if he if he's just good or even just like borderline great, they don't win. He had to be brilliant, like flat-out brilliant, and they still won this game by three points on the road. So that tells you how good he had to be for them to win, and he was. And that's what happens sometimes in the playoffs, but, man, he uh, he carried them, and the kudos to Trey for putting on quite a show in Milwaukee in Game 1. So that is enough of that for now. But I will say this. The Hawks are now, as of this moment, they're actually still the betting underdog in the series. I looked at, I looked at it as I was talking. Our friends about line have the Bucks at about minus 180. To win the series, the Hawks a little bit less than that on the plus side. That is obviously a big change towards the Hawks from the opener. But they're winning the series, and they're still the underdogs, at least in the betting market. I'm sure Hawks fans will love that because they're enjoying the underdog role. But I want to just give you the information. I'm just putting it out there. Now, it's time to get greedy if you're the Hawks. If you can go in on the road on Friday night and get the sweep, at least the mini sweep, in Milwaukee, then you are in a fantastic position, and no one can tell you at that point that you're not favored in the series. If Milwaukee comes back in game in, in game two and throws the haymaker and beats you, you're still in great shape. I'll be the first to point out that the whole goal, as I always say, if you're the road team, if you're the underdog, go in there and split. That's all you need to do. Now, now though, it's secure. The Hawks are 3-0 in game ones, and you can go out and uh, get a little bit greedy on Friday. So 
There'll be adjustments, to be sure. You know, Jeff Teague maybe not be playing. You have to expect the Bucks to make a few more shots. Maybe they adjust their coverages on Trey, maybe switch a little bit more as they did in the second half of this game. But the Hawks have to be feeling good at this point in time. We'll keep an eye on the injury report. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have a podcast between now and then, just for logistical reasons. I've already had three podcasts this week, by the way. They're still relevant. Tower Jones, good friend of the podcast on, yes- on yesterday's show. A series preview with Kane Pittman of Locked on Bucks that went up before that, etc. So plenty of content to be sure, and I will be here regardless after the game on Friday night, so keep it locked. Maybe I'll have a surprise episode at some point in time, but the best way to find the podcast is to, is to subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, um, Odyssey, TuneIn Radio, all those places have the podcast, or you can have it directly. I've been trying to tweet out the direct links every once in a while, at Hawks on Twitter, or you can follow me at BT Roland on Twitter. This is a fun one, uh, you know, memorable to be sure. It's late, yeah, it's 1 a.m. as I'm recording this-ish. So uh, apologies for any uh, rambling that I have been doing, but this is a, a crazy night at the office and the Hawks lead one nothing in the Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, we'll have time to, re- to reflect on that between now and Friday. 8.30 start in Milwaukee. We'll be here and we'll see you after the game.